0: Please remain standing in honor of God's word. This morning we'll look at Luke, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. Luke 2, beginning at verse 8, this is God's inspired, inerrant, authoritative word. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, Praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, on this Christmas Eve, we thank you for your indescribable gift, Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Open our eyes to see the great salvation that we have in him. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Some of you who are older, and even some of you who are younger, will remember the Charlie Brown Christmas movie. At one point, Charlie Brown is exasperated and he says, "Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about?" Linus says, "I can tell you what Christmas is all about." And then Linus walks to the center of the stage, and he asks for the lights to come on, and then he reads the passage that I just read, Luke 2, 8 through 14, and then he walks back and he says to Charlie Brown, that's what Christmas is all about. And this passage really is a good summary of the Christmas story. And that's what I want us to look at this morning, and if you're Taking notes, I have three simple points. Uh, The first one is the time of the message. The second point is the recipients of the message. And then the third is the heart of the message. So let's begin with the time of the message, verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. So the time of this message is 11 p.m. Obviously, I'm kidding. Uh, But it is not an irrelevant detail that it took place at night. Now, tomorrow is December 25th, and once again, we will celebrate the birth of Christ. And some of you may be wondering, why do we celebrate the birth of Christ on December 25th? Commentator William Hendrickson says, The decision that Christ's birth occurred on December 25th, was reached in the 4th century during the reign of Constantine, the first Christian emperor. It was at this time that the date of the Savior's birth was made to coincide with Saturnalia, the pagan festival celebrating the return of the sun after days of consistently increasing darkness. Have any of you noticed that our days have been getting shorter and shorter and darker and darker I came across a meme the other day and I mentioned this to Michelle I said this sounds like us the meme says every night around midnight I'm shocked to find out it's only 6 (laughs) p.m. and and that's how it feels because it gets dark so early it's about 6 7 it does feel like midnight the days are so short but don't worry they will get longer Hendrickson goes on to say during that festival Gifts were exchanged. Christians didn't object to giving gifts, especially those to the poor. And as for rejoicing because of the sun's victory over the darkness, that was no problem. Then Hendrickson points out something that is pervasive in scripture, namely the significance of the sun that brings about a new era. This is what Zechariah said in his prophecy talking about the birth of Christ. In Luke 1, 68, he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. And then in verse 78, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. And perhaps if you were paying attention during our Advent reading, Bob read from John 1, 4 and 5, which says, talking about Christ, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then John 1, 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And then in our call to worship, we read from Isaiah 9, 2, which says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them has light shone. And that passage is very significant. Um, It's recited for us in Matthew 4, 15 and 16, right at the very beginning of the ministry of Christ, where we read, talking about Isaiah, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, by the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. So with the coming of Christ, the sunrise is beginning to shine over the horizon and it will bring about a new era. Some of you are familiar with uh, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, In that series, The White Witch, which represents Satan, keeps the land in constant winter. And if the white witch had her way, it would be always winter, never Christmas. Similarly, if Satan had his way, it would always be night and never daytime. But with the coming of Christmas, we have the coming of the light as well, and a new day is beginning to dawn. Hendrickson goes on to conclude that Jesus was born on December 25th can be neither proved nor disproved. I fully agree, however, with Lenski's statement, while December 25th is only tradition, it is at least traditional. So there you have it for what it's worth, our tradition of celebrating the birth of Christ on December 25th. By the way, if you're still bothered by the fact that December 25th used to be observed as a pagan holiday, maybe you should remember that we used to be pagans. But then Christ came and transformed our lives. And if you want proof but with the coming of Christ, there has been a transformation. Let me ask you this. Tomorrow, on December 25th, will most of the world be celebrating Christmas, the birth of Christ, or will they be celebrating Saturnalia? I rest my case. Brings us to the second point, the recipients of the message. Verse 8 again, And in that same reason there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now think about this. Mary gives birth to God's Son, and the Almighty sends an angel to announce this life-altering event that will transform the course of human history to shepherds. Now, to realize how surprising that is, we need to put it in its proper context. This, for our context, it would, it would be something like this. A president of a Fortune 500 company has a son. It's his firstborn son, and he's excited. And he calls one of his messengers. Let's give him the name Gabriel. And he says, Gabriel, my wife, just gave birth to our first son. I want you to announce the birth of my child. And the messenger says, I'd be happy to. Who would you like me to tell? And he says, I want you to tell the two janitors on the night crew who emptied the trash and mop the floors. That's who shepherds were. And actually, during the time of Christ, they were even lower than that. Shepherds were despised by the quote unquote good, respectable people of that day. According to the Mishnah, shepherds were under a ban. They were regarded as thieves. They couldn't give a testimony in a court of law because they weren't trusted. The only people lower than shepherds at this time were lepers. Isn't it astounding? that this message of good news, actually the best news ever proclaimed, is announced to nobodies. Nobody's. But isn't that the point? God seems to have a special place in his heart for the poor, the outcast, the downtrodden, the despised of this world. In James 2.5 we read, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? And then 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and following, Paul says, but consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth." But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. His first message is delivered to the lowly shepherds who were despised by the vast majority of the people at that time. I try to imagine in my mind how the the shepherds must have reacted when they heard this good news. Verse 11, once again, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. I imagine them saying, unto us? Kind of of like looking around like, unto us? Who are we that the Savior should be born for our salvation, who are we that God should send his son to us, that we could be redeemed un- unto us? And if they needed reassurance, the angels would have said, yes, un- unto you. But here's the good news. This savior is also for all of us as well. We read it this morning in our call to worship, Isaiah 9:6. For to us, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we should be astounded. To us, God gave his son. To us, this child has been born. And all of this for our salvation. And we should ask, what what motivated God to send His Son for our salvation. And one of the answers is found in John 3:16. I hope you're familiar with it. It says, "For God so loved the world." Literally, in the Greek, it's "So loved God." And, and the love is put first for emphasis: So loved God, the world, that He sent his one and only son, so that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's what motivated God to send his son. And this brings me to the third point, the heart of the message. The heart of the message. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The heart of the message is that a Savior has been born unto you. Now here we're not told his name, Uh, But Joseph was told his name when the angel Gabriel came to him. And in Matthew 1, 21, the angel said, She will bear a son, talking about Mary, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I wonder if the concepts of this Savior being born for your salvation astounds you. Maybe it depends on whether or not you realize that you need a Savior. Uh, there, there's a great story I like to tell, and you'll have to forgive me because I, I tell this at Christmas because it's the most fitting time to tell this story, but <laughs> it's about a little boy who wrote a, wrote a letter to Santa, and he said, Dear Santa, there are three boys in our home. Jeffrey is five years old, John is eight years old, and Norman is 11 years old. Jeffrey is good most of the time. John is good most of the time. Norman is good all of the time. I am Norman. (laughs) Uh, None of us is Norman. None of us are good all of the time. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. And if you understand that, you will be astounded that God sent a Savior into the world for us. And you will be even more astounded that God sent his son into the world if you realize just how great your sin debt is. Tim Keller tells this story. Imagine you're, you're going away for the, the weekend and you ask uh, a couple that you know to watch your house for you and they watch, watch your house and, and then you come home after being gone for a weekend and... They said, hey, I, ho- I hope you don't mind, but we-, we got your mail, and as we got your mail, we noticed that there was a bill, and, and I opened the bill, and I-, I wanted to take care of it for you, so I-, I-, I paid the bill for you. So here's the question. Because they paid your-, your bill, do you say, thank you so much, that was so kind of you, or do you bow down and kiss his feet? Well, it depends on how great the bill was. If it was just 50 cents because it was a bill for postage due, then you just say thank you. That was kind of you. But, but what if it was your mortgage because you were a couple months late and this person said, not only did I take care of the, the back payment of the mortgage, but I paid off your mortgage, which you were going to be paying for the next 25 years. You say thank you or you bow down and kissed her feet. Your sin debt is like the mortgage being paid off, not just postage due. There was a, a woman in Luke 7 who understood this. It's a great story, Luke 7, 37. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. When she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, about two years' salary, and the other 50, about two months' salary. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debts. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, will be forgiven. For she loved much, but he who was forgiven little, loves little. You will be astounded that a savior has been born for you when you understand that you're a sinner and that your sin debt is massive. And I need to ask you this morning, have you turned to Christ in faith so that you could be forgiven? It's the only place you can go for salvation. As Acts 4:12 says, there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Have you turned to Christ for salvation? If you have, you will respond with praise. Back to Luke verse 12. He is pleased. I think this is fascinating. There was one angel who came and announced the message to the shepherds. And then suddenly, in a moment, we're told that he was accompanied by a multitude of the heavenly hosts. And we should ask ourselves, well, what does a multitude comprise? Five, ten, fifty, a hundred, five hundred? Five hundred? Way more than that. Revelation 5 11, 12 gives us this picture. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads. Myriad is 10,000. 10,000 times 10,000. 100 million angels. And in addition to that, thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb who was slain now this is speculation on my part here i'm not alone in the speculation but suddenly there is with this one angel a multitude of the heavenly host and what are they doing they are praising god for sending his son from heaven to earth to provide salvation for man. And how many angels left the throne in heaven to come down and sing God's praises? My guess is all of them. They all. Came, Maybe they were given the option. How many of you would like to sing my praises because of the gift of my son that I'm giving to my people to redeem them? And they all went. And I think what the angels saw was from horizon to horizon, filling the sky layer upon layer, this heavenly host praising God for this gift. And they were absolutely astounded. But isn't it appropriate? If God sends his son for our salvation, there is no more appropriate response than to worship him. And for those of us who have turn to Christ, that for no other reason we enjoy gathering together each Lord's Day so that we can sing his praises once again and thank him for his goodness to us. Let's close in prayer. Father, again, we thank you for your indescribable gift, Jesus Christ. And your love for us is almost indescribable it is almost beyond comprehension that we thank you and praise you and worship you for the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ and it's in his name we pray amen